All right, guys, welcome to the very first episode of the Man Cave podcast. This week's episode, we're talking England football, Formula One, MMA, and just introducing ourselves a little bit. So uh, my name's Dan Kitchen. I'm joined with you and Mira. I'm currently studying in London at the moment, King's College. And uh, you and you want to introduce yourself a bit? Yeah, I'm Ewan. Uh, I'm at University of Leicester. Uh, I like Formula One mainly, motorsport. I like, obviously, I'm a big, big Liverpool fan in terms of football, um, like cricket, like golf, pretty much any sport. I like beer and I like sitting around doing nothing all day. Scratching your balls. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so uh, bear in mind, this is our very first episode. We're new to this and um, we're by no means experts in anything we're talking about. We're just uh, two mates having a laugh. So make sure you follow us on Instagram, man.cavepodcast, man.cavepodcast. It will be linked in the description. And uh, enjoy the episode and bear with us for the first few episodes while we just get used to this uh, this new hobby we've got. Enjoy. Welcome to the Man Cave Podcast. So we've just had England's thousandth. Was it thousandth game at Wembley or thousandth game ever? Thousandth, I think it was thousandth England international game. Yeah, so the thousandth England international game, and it was tarred by these England fans booing our, our friend Joe Gomez. We're both Liverpool fans, by the way. Our friend Joe Gomez, who was attacked by a fellow player, and then, and then uh, he somehow he came out of it as the villain when Raheem Sterling's on this PR parade. Well, it all stemmed really from the City Liverpool game, didn't it? On the Sunday before when Gomez came on as a sub in the second half. And, yeah. Um, there was a bit of an altercation with Sterling and Gomez. And Sterling, you know, the short arse he is, squared up to Gomez. And Gomez just lifted him up by his armpits and pushed him across. Yeah, armpits. it was quality. It was quality. And then, um, yeah, so in uh, England training, Sterling comes up to him, attacks him, allegedly grabs him by the throat. And you can see scratches on his face from what uh, Sterling's done to him. And then, um, so Gareth Southgate very publicly uh, dropped Sterling from the match. What do you think about that? Do you think he should have dropped them or kept uh, what happens in the dressing room to the dressing room? I don't think, personally, I don't think he should have dropped them, to be honest. Um, I mean, I don't think see it's that big a thing. I think now he's made it probably a bigger thing than it is by dropping him. Yeah, well... Yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of people have said this. I saw Roy Keane. I was on um, ITV saying a similar thing. Stuff like that happens in the uh, dressing room all the time. When I was reading Crouch's autobiography, he said it, it wasn't uncommon at all for players to have proper punch-ups in the dressing room. Uh, he said once, uh, I can't remember the players who it was, but he said um, they were bickering the whole first half. Half-time, went in, had a scrap at half-time, then went back out and played second half. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it shows what I've been saying for a while. Game's gone a bit soft recently, hasn't it? Well, that's what Roy Keane was saying the other day. I think it was. I think it was Liverpool United, wasn't it? And he was a Sky Sports pundit, and they're all, you know, they do in the tunnel these days. They're all hugging and handshaking. Yeah, yeah. Why are they doing that when you're going to war? If you're going to war, you're not there to make mates. Yeah, it's a good point, but Roy Keane rubs you up the wrong way sometimes. It's a bit too intense. Yeah, he talks, I mean. talk, doesn't he? Yeah. But I feel like he's one of those people, he's made a character from it now, so he's just sort of, Definitely. he's got to, got to live up to his name. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame. Another thing I'd add as well about the Sterling Gomez 
um, Jordan Henderson, who wasn't even at St George's Park yet. He wasn't. I think it was a couple of days after the City game, wasn't it? And yeah. He, he wasn't there yet. He phoned Sterling and Gomez and 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 tried to peacekeep them, which I think shows how much of a, a leader he is. Obviously yeah. Well, Liverpool. Well, I think Henderson gets a bit of a bad rap because obviously he's not Liverpool's best player on the pitch, but that's not any. That's no tall. That's no easy feat, is it, to be the best player on the Liverpool pitch? Exactly. And um, and another thing is trying to fill Gerrard's boots. I said this the other day. It's like Hazard's gone to Real Madrid and everyone's saying, oh, he's crap. He's a, he's overrated. He's not. How can he replace Ronaldo? Yeah, yeah. He, he, or like the second best player ever or the best player ever, depending on who you ask. You can't replace him. No one's going to be as good as him. And it's the same thing with Henderson and Gerrard, I think. He, he's, yeah. he's always going to be compared to Gerrard. I think another person that's being compared to Gerrard quite a bit these days is Trent as well. Maybe yeah, well, he's a, he's a, a local scout lad, isn't it? Liverpool. And a lot of people, a lot of the pundits I've seen saying that some of the passes he does is very Gerrard-esque, which I'd agree with, to be honest. You know, a lot of his, some of the passes he does, absolutely ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, my physics teacher in school used to teach Trent. We used to teach him at Raynell. Else, another Liverpool lad. Uh, Darren Till's been making big waves in the UFC at the moment. Huge win against Calvin Gastelum um, the other week. Somehow, somehow, a judge scored it for Gastelum 30-27, which I think is utterly irrehensible. And that brings it to another point. Judging in the UFC needs sorting, completely sorting. For some reason, they've looked at boxing, which obviously had been going for hundreds of years before the UFC started, and just copied the way they judge fights when, on the on the face of it, and when you look deeper, it's a completely different sport. Completely different sport. Why not Why not have 10 judges? And also, why not have open scoring? That's what I think they should bring in. So, say, at the end of a round, say if, say, Darren Till beats Calvin Gaston first round, and then comes up on the on the scoreboard on the Megatron in the arena. Every judge's score for for that round. That way, the person who's losing the fight kicks himself into gear, and it probably makes the fight more exciting because they start swinging for the fences. And also, judges are held accountable for what they score, so they'll see all the other judges have scored it the other way, and I've scored it this way. Then the crowd starts booing them, and they're thinking, "Hang on, I'm doing something wrong here." I will ask a question as a newbie, Dan, to MMA and fighting all this. When you say score a round or whatever, how on earth does a judge score like a UFC or boxing round? So it's on a it's on a must score ten point system, where the winner of the round gets ten points, and then the loser of the round either gets nine, eight, or seven, depending on that. And then the total score of all the rounds is the winner of the fight so but so for example if two people are having a close fight very very close it could be scored a 10-10 if right. one person one person beats the other one 10-9 say if one person really puts a beating on the other one knocks him down it would be a 10-8 10-7s are unbelievably rare because usually the fight's over by then and you say if one one person is beating the other if no one gets knocked out, how 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 do you know who's winning and who's not? Well, well, in uh, in UFC, it's scored on striking, grappling, aggression, octagon control, and submission attempts. Right. Um. So, 
yeah, it's true. Whoever does that, and the one of the problems is that um, because the judges are appointed by the Athletic Commission, not by the UFC itself. Some of them are boxers. Some, some of them are wrestlers. Some very few of them are jiu-jitsu players. So they all view the fight differently. Say if one person is absolutely outlanding someone on the feet, but then the person who's getting outlanded lands a takedown. The wrestling judge, who's more akin to that discipline, would score that fight, would score that round for the person who landed the takedown when really they've been getting battered on the feet the whole time and the boxing judge would score it the other way. So I think the problem is, I do think this problem is going to iron itself out in a few years because it's such a new sport. If you compare it to literally any other sport they've been going for hundreds of years, UFC is going to be going for 26 years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, that's that's not even a lifetime. So I think it's just going to take time. It is improving. It's a lot better than it was in the Wild West days. But what isn't really? And you mentioned Darren Till at the top of that. What what we what's what's going on with Darren Till at the moment? Yeah, fantastic. So he's just moved up to middleweight because he was always a very big welterweight, and he's he. It seemed as though he was starving himself with the cut a bit. Obviously, he famously missed the cut against Stephen Thompson in Liverpool, and then um, sorry, missed weight, not missed the cut, missed weight. Um, getting into golf talk there, missed weight <laughs> against Stephen Thompson, uh, famously at UFC Liverpool. Still went on to beat him. And then he lost two in a row to Tyron Woodley and Masvidal, getting knocked out pretty pretty nastily in both of those fights. Moves up to welterweight, challenges Calvin Gastelum, who I believe at the time was the number three, number three or number four middleweight in the world. Right. Goes, goes at him. Bear in mind, Gastelum and Adesanya had had a five-round war a few weeks before this, and Adesanya's now the champion. You know, remember you watching it, the dancing guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who everyone's hailing, everyone's hailing as the next, yeah, the next big thing. And then, and then, someone, so someone who's taken it up, and Aaron Till's sort of seen him off without much bother, really. So now, in the, um, and do you know Joel Romero, the big Cuban guy? Yeah. So, in a press conference following that fight, he was asked about Joel Romero. He said, no way, I don't want to fight him. He's an absolute beast. Which you've got to respect. This is another great thing I love about Darren Till. He's unbelievably honest. You, he's so likable as a fighter. And then that night he went out, went out, had a few sherbets with the lads, as you would do, and uh, tweeted, tweeted calling out Yael Romero. And then, in, and then in the morning said, "Oh my God, just woke up and realised I called out Yael Romero last night. What have I done?" Which is relatable on another yeah. level. And then now he's. Um, said to Robert Whittaker, let's fight in London. Uh, I believe it's in March and Robert Whittaker's accepted. So that's almost done now. And if that happens in London at March, I will 100% be going to that event. London, not Anfield. I thought he was going to fight in Anfield if he won. No, well, he's talking about that. I think, hopefully, he beats Whittaker and then it, it will more than likely because Adesanya's... Um, what do you call them from New Zealand? The Kiwi. He'll be fighting. He'll be fighting them in New Zealand, I imagine. Potentially Anfield somewhere further along the line, but he's got some very big steps to take before that. Right, that'd be great in Anfield, wouldn't it? Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and one fascinating thing about Darren Till as well. He um, after his fight with Calvin Gastelum, he said to uh, um, he said in an interview afterwards, "I didn't want to fight. I was absolutely terrified." He said, I wasn't scared. I was absolutely terrified. 
I'm paraphrasing this massively, by the way. I, I wasn't just scared. I was absolutely terrified. And he was thinking of an injury to fake in the dressing room before he went out to fight, right. which is unbelievable. And um, which is it's unbelievable to a fighter say something like that, isn't it? But all the fighters I've heard talking about this have said, yeah, I've had the exact same feelings. Um, well done for saying it. So you've yeah, I, that's that's the thing that I love about him the most is he's so honest and real. And he reminds me a lot of Tyson Fury in that way. Mm. Where, when Tyson Fury, he, you know, the thing is with combat sports and all sports in general, everyone is trying to, you know, it's like the, the most testosterone fueled thing you can do really, isn't it? Get in a cage and fight someone shirtless. And then, um, and he's just being honest, both of them being really honest about it. And it's happening more and more. Tony Bellew's spoken about it as well, which is it's good to see really in this day and age. Yeah. And on the topic of fighting, obviously we have the KSI Logan Paul. Oh yeah, yeah. Number two, which obviously KSI won on a split decision. Yeah. Um, did you watch it first of all? Uh, I have. I didn't watch it live. But I watched it the, the following morning, and right. I was, I was, I was uh, underwhelmed to say the least. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't got a clue really about boxing, but I, I did watch it. Um, and I thought it seemed like a lot of swinging and not much connecting. Well, it, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, what KSI's had three fights, Logan Paul's had two. Yeah, yeah. So, normal most boxers have had, but uh, maybe a hundred fights by the time they're sixteen. Mm. That's why. That's why all this talk about it, it. They yes, they had professional boxing license, but they're not professional boxers. Of course, they're not, and they know that. They know that. You can see what they've said after the fight. He said, oh, I'll see what I'll do next. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's mm. playing FIFA again. Maybe it's fighting somewhere else. I just hope it, I hope it ends now. They've done well. Yeah, they've made the money off say, it. What, you don't yeah, want to drag it out too far, do you? Yeah, what what has happened as well, I've seen online, Tommy Fury, obviously, the, the half-brother, I think he is, of, of Tyson. Yeah, half-brother. Has called out KSI now to fight, which, to be honest, I think is a load of rubbish, considering Tommy Fury is meant to be a proper professional boxer and he's lowering his standards to fight someone like KSI. Personally, I think he just wants a big paycheck. But Yeah, well, Tommy Fury is a professional boxer, but obviously he's had hundreds of amateur fights, but I think he's only had something like... I could be completely wrong on this, but I think he's only had something like three or four professional fights. I think so, yeah. But, but even so, Tommy Fury would absolutely destroy him. Yeah. No, sure. no questions sure. asked. But so what? I'd, I'd get in the ring with Tommy Fury if I was getting paid fifteen million well, for exactly, it. Exactly, but from a from a fans from a watcher's perspective, who, who I can imagine, I'm not a, obviously a proper fan of boxing, but for some that is, I don't know if it's making more of a mockery of the sport rather than because I mean, look who on the undercard of KSI Logan Paul had Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah, yeah. Was, well, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of boxing. Like I like it, but I'm more more MMA. I watch the big fights for boxing, but. Mm. So many people get worked up about it, and I'm not really sure why. It's not as though that then they're not. I'd, I'd, I could see the problem if Logan Paul was standing up and saying, Deontay Wilder, I'm going to fight you, I'm going to beat you. But he's not doing that. They're fighting each other. You know what I mean? True, true. They're fighting each other. And if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. Exactly. Like, suppose, yeah. that, that's what I, I I don't see a problem with it whatsoever. I'm not a problem with it at all. And I suppose Eddie Hearn being Eddie Hearn jumped on that bandwagon as soon as he could when he saw the uh, the figures from the first fight. 
well, fair enough, that's his job. He's well, a boxing exactly. promoter he, and he's promoted boxing. Exactly, which I think he said it's a good it's a good thing for the sport. I don't know how many more fans it's introduced. To I, I don't think it is a good thing for the sport. I can't see it. I'd, but but then again, I'd well, say I can't see many. Really I, I can't see many people sticking around. But if a hundred million people watch it, however many, what was it? The first one, fifty million, so that. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. But yeah, so if if only one percent of them watch, let's say it's fifty million. If only one percent of them stay. One in every hundred people stay and watch the next boxing pay per view. That's another mm. five hundred thousand, which is probably double what a lot of these small fight nights make. Yeah. So from one British superstar in KSI to another, uh, I believe I couldn't know less about Formula One, but, but I believe Samson's just won his sixth championship, or is on the yeah, way to win. So, a um, couple of weeks ago in Austin, Texas, he won his sixth world championship, which makes him the second best. If you're going off champion, world championship wins, the second um, most successful driver of all time. Obviously, one behind Michael Schumacher now, who's on seven world championships. Um, he's obviously won in uh, 2008 with McLaren and then. Since the new regulations came in in 2014, he's won it right through now till 2019, apart from obviously 2016, where he was beaten by Nico Rosberg. Um, but yeah, he's won his sixth one now, which a lot of people are saying now. I saw a lot of people actually after the race saying, oh, Andy Murray's won what Wimbledon once and he's he's been knighted. Uh, yeah, knighted. How come, how come Lewis Hamilton? Is the second best of all time in his sport and still has not been awarded a knighthood. But to be honest, I think he'll get that as soon as he probably retires, to be honest. Yeah, true, true. I don't think it's that often for people to get knighted during, like, at the mm. peak of their career, is it? It's usually a few years after. Yeah. And what I would say to anyone that isn't a, a Formula One fan or a motorsport fan, that wants to learn a bit more, if you've got a Netflix subscription, go and watch um, Netflix Drive to Survive. It's all a bit behind the scenes of Formula One. It's a bit like if you've ever seen, uh, what was it, Man City All or Nothing, wasn't it, on Amazon Prime? Yeah, yeah. It's essentially that, but Formula One. And one... So I might check that out, because I do like documentaries like that, but I've never, mm -hmm. never really got into F1. And I'm not sure why. I think I watched it extremely casually when I was maybe maybe about five years ago mm. and it would it, every, every race seemed like a bit of a procession to me but I don't know if that's just because I didn't really understand what was going on mm, I mean um, ever since I mean as, as long as I've watched I mean I watched it all my life but ever since these new regulations came in so they've introduced so they used to have uh, 1.6 litre can you imagine a Formula 1 engine only 1.6 litres yeah which is like your Ford Focus RS sort of level. Um, ever since they got, so they used to have V8 engines and they've gone to now to V, in 2014, they went to V6 turbo hybrids. Yeah. Just to make it more for the manufacturers in the sport, something a bit more road relatable to sell more commercial vehicles. Okay. Um, Mercedes, the, their power units really dominated this whole turbo hybrid era, really. So Mercedes have won every single world championship since 2014 to 2019 and every driver's world championship as well. So it's a bit like if you watch the Premier League, it's basically Liverpool, I mean, it wouldn't be a bad thing, but if Liverpool won 
Champions League and Premier League every year since 2014, 2019. It'd be yeah. for the fans who support them, but for the new yeah, and the other fans. Is it as easy to get behind the like you can see why people are passionate about supporting Liverpool or passionate about supporting Manchester United are the people who are passionate about McLaren. Yeah, you get a lot of really? you get a lot of people, especially though. What I would say is Ferrari are obviously the biggest. Yeah, uh, what, that's, what, a, that's a bit more of iconic though, isn't it? Mm, would that be right to say? Um, well, an interesting th- figure I heard about the Italian Grand Prix this year, which is in Monza, which I think is in north of Italy, um, just near Milan. Um, yeah. So Ferrari, one of the Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari was on pole position on Saturday. And because of him being on pole position, I think they had a, something ridiculous, like an extra 10, 10, 30, 10, 30,000 people come in just because Ferrari was on pole. Really? Uh, crazy. And uh, if you'd ever see, I don't we might have a picture of it, but the podium celebration of this yeah, year. Yeah, we'll Charles bring one up. We'll bring one up. Oh, amazing. I mean, look at how many fans there are there all, all the way down the straight with the big... They call they call them in Italy. They call them the Tafosi, and they're all okay. there with big um, Ferrari flags. And oh, I'd, I'd love to go really and experience it. Obviously, so we, you've been to a few, haven't you? Which which have you been to? Belgium, yeah, so Silverstone. I've been to Silverstone, um, 2011, uh, 16, and 17, and then I went to Monaco in. 2018 and then this year i went to spa in belgium uh all of them i've been with my dad who got me into formula one really he's watched it all his life i've watched it all mine which was the best and why to put you on the spot i suppose a lot of the time you go it is a lot dependent on where you sit in and how what the race is like but yeah um I don't know, they've all got different good elements. Silverstone, obviously, um, 16 and 17, um, Lewis Hamilton won. And obviously, I mean, we should have a picture of it as well and a video. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, when he when he wins Lewis Hamilton in Silverstone, at 17 he did it, and 18 I think he did it as well. He actually crowd-surfed on the pit straight. And an, an interesting thing I learned about that is... Lewis Hamilton on the Silverstone Grand Prix, and I'm I'm not sure on any of the others. Actually, takes out his own insurance, so he's allowed to do stuff like that. <laughs> Otherwise, Mercedes probably wouldn't let him. But he's literally in there with all the fans. It's a bit like I don't know, Mo Salah jumping in the cop. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'd I'd enjoy I enjoy watching sporting events live, even sports I'm not into. My thing with Formula One is I feel as though it would be exciting for like the first 30 seconds and then because because you're so detached from it as in the cars just going past it like do you remember we're we're both fortunate enough to live very close to royal liverpool golf club and um, when you go to watch the open there there's so much to do and also the thing with golf is they're just walking right next to you so i remember i went when i was 13 to the open in 2014 must have met at least 100 golfers and that, that's the thing. I feel like, because they're just walking past you, especially if you're on the practice rounds, they're happy to chat to you for five minutes, even yeah. a little 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. But And also, there's so much stuff you can do around the Open, whereas the F1, 
is it is it just sitting in a seat and watching it or is there uh, well uh, since um in 2017 uh, bernie eccleston who, who owned formula one at the time sold it to an american company called liberty media yeah. and now they've introduced all sorts of things so it's a lot more fan focused now and they're much more focused on because they're american probably making it a lot more of a show so yeah, okay you go to a grand prix now and obviously you go on a thursday and you've got the autograph session you can walk down the pit lane and see all the cars and then they have fan forums on the stage with all some of the drivers, not all of them, but come and do uh, interviews with the crowd and autographs, more autograph sessions, stuff like that. And they've got a big um, fan zone in all of the Grand Prix now where they've got all sorts like uh, simulators you can have a go on and yeah, that sounds like changing pit stop things and Johnny Walker whiskey and a lot of Heineken. Ooh. Oh, you're selling me. It's always, which is always good. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. So it is becoming a lot, I think it's a lot becoming a lot more fan-focused. And obviously in 2021 as well, they've got the new whole new rules, regulations, most importantly, probably as a, a cost gap. So obviously yeah. we've got Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, uh, Renault that have these uh, manufacturers and, and, and Red Bulls associated with Aston Martin got these massive budgets so so they can spend as much as they like on developing the car whereas the smaller teams so your your Haas and your Racing Point and your other uh, small teams Williams especially are obviously privately owned teams so they've got very small budgets so it's a bit like I don't know how to describe it for someone that wouldn't like Formula One but it's a bit like playing football in boots compared to playing football with no legs basically so so those privately owned teams there's like there's no chance they'll win basically the way it is now yeah so so and the cost gap is trying to reduce that difference yeah i think it's the top why why would they remain private then just because they do they treat it more as a business than a sport really or well they all they all it's basically they all are businesses themselves but obviously they have so Mercedes is obviously Mercedes, but Williams, who's owned by Frank Williams and has been the whole time since the 70s, uh, they're not a manufacturer, so they rely on getting their revenue and income from spo- a lot from sponsorship and other, other sources, whereas obviously Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, all of them, obviously huge budgets because they're manufacturers. I see, I see, said the blind man. Yeah, well, another thing, the cost gap they're introducing is £175 million, which you think is a ridiculous amount of money. So every team has to spend the same amount? Well, that's what they're doing. Or, 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 there's, a, or there's a cap? A cap, yeah. Yeah, OK, I see. So, and how, how, much, how, much, like, how much difference is that going to make? How much are McLaren spending at the moment? Well, exactly. Um, I, I think I saw something in the news the other day. Mercedes was saying each car... Around about a hundred million pounds. And how many they got? Three, three or two. four. Every two. car, every team's got two cars. So you know. So um, they're going to have to cut, cut twenty-five mil off yeah. each car. A lot of a lot of the teams are saying that a lot of people might lose their jobs because of it. Um, and a, a lot of the big, obviously, the big teams don't really want a cost gap, so they're a bit against it. But the smaller private teams obviously want want the cost gap so they can get a bit more competitive. But yeah. one about the cost gap, 
it doesn't include the this driver's salaries. So obviously Lewis Hamilton gets paid forty million alone okay. from Mercedes. So it doesn't include the driver's salaries, and it doesn't include the top three executives of the team. So probably the team principal, team manager, and and the chief. I don't know, chief engineer, something like that. That seems and, fair enough to me. Yeah, and and it doesn't include all your marketing and all all that, but which doesn't really, you know. Surely it should just be purely the, purely the cost spent on the car because it's not like mm, it's not like yeah. he's being paid forty mil, he's being paid ten mil, so he's going to drive four times faster, is it? Yeah, well, a lot of them were saying. I, I saw David Croft, the Sky Sports commentator, was saying the other day, and it was mentioned in a press conference actually um, for the Brazil race, which is this weekend. Daniel Ricciardo was asked, "Should the cost gap include the driver's salaries?" And obviously he was he doesn't want it included because he he'd get paid yeah. as much as he does. So he was sort of, oh yeah, no, I don't know, I don't know. But obviously yeah. I don't know what he was thinking. But yeah, I don't think well, no, I don't think it should include them to be honest. The, the best drivers always end up in the best teams, if you ask me. So So I think that just about wraps up um wraps up this week's episode. Short one to start off. We're gonna try and just basically pump out as many episodes as we can we both got loads of free time at university so make sure you follow our instagram at man.cavepodcast that's man.cavepodcast on instagram give us a follow share with your friends and uh, listen next week and we need a catchphrase to end it with don't know keep drinking beer yeah nice <laughs> on you <E>. okay <laughs> alright that's all for this week folks Goodbye.